Susan are going to be playing the offertory today, so it will be a blessing to you, and uh, you pray for them as they uh, play.
for that uh, good number. Jesus is all the world to me. John Stott said that discouragement is the greatest occupational hazard of a believer. Discouragement. The greatest occupational hazard of a believer. Why? Because he says it can lead to a loss of vision and enthusiasm. That makes sense, doesn't it? When you get discouraged about something, you lose that vision and that enthusiasm. I'm just wondering today, Christian... Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever feel like giving up? Do you just want to throw in the towel? Do you just want to wave the white flag of surrender, wondering if things are ever going to change? I think if we were honest, all of us, all of us, if we were honest, would say from time to time, 
we struggle with discouragement. Some more than others. Some people's temperament seems to be wired that way. But all of us, I think, on occasion would struggle with discouragement. Well, what causes discouragement? I mean, that's a question we need to think about, isn't it? What causes discouragement? The real problem is it's not an easy question to answer. There are a lot of things that can play into discouragement, uh, can play into the equation. Um, Health problems can be very discouraging. Disappointment in some area of your life can be discouraging. The loss of a loved one can plunge people into discouragement. Uh, Sin in our lives that we're not confessing and dealing with can bring about discouragement. And then as believers, we have spiritual warfare. The enemy fighting against us can bring about discouragement. Financial problems, when you have more month than you do means to, to make it, can bring about discouragement. And on and on and on we can go. But I think there's something else when it comes to a Christian that plays into the discouragement equation. And I think it's the idea and and the issue of forgetfulness, forgetfulness. We forget as believers who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We forget some things that we know. We know them. We know they're true, but we forget them. Or maybe a more accurate way to say it would be that we begin to doubt that they're true. Unbelief can play a great role. Uh, part in discouragement, we may begin to doubt God. We may begin to uh, doubt his goodness and his word and his promises. Well, this morning, we're going to finish up our study of the book of first John. If you'd open your Bible there, please. And we're reminded of some things that we know are true about us. If we are indeed a child of God. And if you're struggling this morning with discouragement, maybe you came in this morning and you were down. I mean, really down. And uh, you're, you're struggling along. I think this morning will be a great encouragement to you if you'll let it. First John chapter five. We're going to finish our study. Uh, this is our 15th and final message in this little book. And it's been a great study in so many ways. And I trust it's blessed your heart as it has mine. First John chapter five. And I'll begin reading at verse 13. John says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sending a sin, which does not lead to death, He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen.
Three main thoughts this morning as we unpack this passage together. First of all, as believers, we know we have eternal life. As believers, we know we have eternal life. Verse 13 is a key verse to the whole book of 1 John. One of the main reasons that John wrote the book of 1 John is found right here in 1 John 5.13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Hear me and hear me well. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. You can have certainty. You must have certainty if you're going to live a victorious Christian life. This needs to be nailed down. There's no reason for anybody to walk around wondering whether or not they're born again. Wondering whether or not they're going to go to heaven or hell. Wondering whether or not they're truly a child of God. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt. It can be nailed down. It can be certain in your life. We've already discussed some of those things. Uh, David Allen helps us, reminds us there's the test of love. The test of love. Do you love other Christians? That's a sign that you are truly a child of God. The test of love. There's the test of righteousness. Do you desire to live correctly and to please God in your life and do things that are right in his sight? God helping you. There's the test of righteousness. And then there's the test of right believing. Do you know, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the savior? Do you believe what the Bible says about it? Do you believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord? And if you pass those tests, it's a good sign. You can mark it down that you are a child of God. If you trust the Lord Jesus Christ and you have that love and that righteousness about you. And so he wants us to know that we have eternal life. It's not a hope so. It's not a maybe so. It's not a guess so. It's a no so. Now, listen, if you're discouraged and you're a child of God, That should brighten your day, shouldn't it? Think about this for a moment. I have eternal life. When I step out of this place, I'm going to open my eyes in heaven. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to be there with those believers who have gone on before. I'm going to spend eternity. Beloved, that ought to encourage us. That ought to excite us to realize that we know that we have eternal life. But I know something else this morning. There are those here who don't have that certainty. You don't know that you have eternal life. In fact, maybe you say, you know what? I know I don't. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll forgive you. He'll make you his child. He'll give you a home in heaven. He'll give you eternal life. And friend, you may have walked in today lost, condemned, undone, headed for hell. But you can walk out this morning redeemed, redeemed, ransomed from sin, a child of the king with eternal life. I encourage you. I urge you this morning to place your faith in Jesus Christ. We've seen this theme over and over again. We know that we have eternal life. There's a second thing in this passage. And that is this. As believers, we know we know we have confidence In prayer, we have confidence in prayer. Look at the next two verses, verses 14 and 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of him. We have confidence that our prayers will be heard 
and will be answered. Now, notice where our confidence lies. It's not in us. And our confidence is not even in our prayers. Did you notice that? Notice it says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have where? We have in who? In Him. Our confidence resides in Him. It says that He hears us. He not only hears us, but He gives us what we prayed about. And it says what? We can ask anything. Anything. Then it says what? Whatever we ask. Let's just stop for a moment. This word anything still means the same thing as always meant, right? We can ask anything, but don't miss this. There's a condition laid down with the anything. Did you see it? Four very important words right after anything. We can ask anything. What does it say? According to his will. But don't miss that. You see, if we ask for something that lines up with the will of God. And the word of God, we can have confidence that God will not only hear our requests, but will grant the petition that's been requested. Another way of saying this is to pray it in Jesus name. Now, I hope you understand that we use that phrase a lot. It's not just a phrase, not just a tagline. I used to work in radio and you have taglines and so forth. It's not that. It's not just so. How do I wrap up this prayer in Jesus name? Amen. That has a meaning behind it. That's not just empty words. Listen to what the Bible says in the Gospel of John. You know, John wrote first John, the Gospel of John. He said in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 of the Gospel of John. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's a pretty awesome promise from the Lord, isn't it? He said in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 16, these words, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. That's a pretty awesome thing to think about. Jesus says anything you ask in my name. And then here John says, listen, whatever you ask according to my will, you're going to get it. But here's the key, beloved. We have to pray it in Jesus name. In other words, it's for his honor, his glory and his will. In fact, Brian Chappell said, when we pray in Jesus's name, he will give us the desires of our heart because our heart's greatest joy will be for his will to be done. Jesus said what? He said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the father may be glorified in the son. You see, God is not obligating himself in this passage in first John to grant selfish prayers. So I can't go home today and say, dear father, I pray that you would send me a brand new Cadillac in black, fully loaded in Jesus name. Amen. That's not what he's saying there, because it has to be according to his will for his glory. Now, can God give me that? Yes. Can God give you that? Yes. But he's not obligating himself to answer selfish prayers and self-centered prayers. There might be somebody who prays like this. And I can imagine, dear God, help me to win the lottery. In Jesus name. Can you imagine And he's not going to answer prayers that go against his will. 
But if we'll pray in line with His will and His word and His desires for His honor, for His glory, then what does the Bible say? We know that He will hear and grant the request. Now, God's timing may not coincide with your timing and our plans, but God hears and answers. So here's the other question then. How do we know what the will of the Lord is? Because he says, if you ask anything in my will, so how do we know what his will is? Well, the good news is he's not left us to our own devices. He's given us several helps. He's given us, first of all, his written revelation. He's given us the Bible. And so a lot of the questions you might have concerning God's will, you can turn to the Bible and find teaching, clear scripture or principles you can use to help you discern God's will. He's also given the believer the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God guides us into all truth and helps us to understand the will of God. And then he's given us the wonderful privilege of prayer. Because we see an example in the Lord Jesus when he's about to go to the cross. He's praying about that. He's pleading with the father. If it be that let this cup pass from me. But what does he say next? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will. If there's a doubt in your mind about something, then bring it to him from that perspective and truly mean it. Father, I'm not sure about this. I don't want my will done. I want your will done. Because that's really where the battle lies many times. The real question is this. Do you really want to know and do God's will? You said that one of the reasons that a lot of our prayers may not be answered the way we want them to or might get a no is because we're not living out his will in our life. Number one, the revealed will of God. Maybe there's sin in our life. There's things in our life. And we're praying about this issue. And God's saying, listen, you need to get this right. But then we get that right. And then what do we do oftentimes? We make our plans. Then we bring them to God and say, now, God, here's what I want to do. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. What's wrong with that? Well, it may not be his will. I need to come seek his will. And and not just try to get his blessing upon what I want to do, but really seek his heart and seek his word and say, Father, I want your will. I want to know it. But don't miss this. When I know it, you help me. I'm going to do it. You see, because people say, I want to know the will of God. And they want to know the will of God. Why? Because they want to make a decision about whether or not they're going to do the will of God. That's not the way it works. He's master. He's Lord. Thy will be done. So we come saying, Lord, what is your will? I want to know it so I can do it with your help. So we may need to start with confession and surrender and say, Lord, here's my life. So he's talking about prayer here. And then he brings up something a little strange to us, perhaps. He he talks about praying for other people. Now, we're used to that. We do that every week here. But he starts talking about people who've committed a sin unto death. And then he talks about somebody else who has not committed a sin unto death. Look at verse 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. What in the world is he talking about? We don't talk about that very much, do we? Have you ever raised your hand? Would you pray for my brother? He sinned to sin, not leading unto death. What's he talking about? Well, let's walk through the passage together. Let's notice, first of all, observations involved. It says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin. So this is observation. It's not gossip. 
How much gossip goes on, on under the guise of prayer request? Uh, did you, would you pray? I, I don't know if you really know what this person did. Well, let me just share with you what they did. And then you give all those juice. And let's pray for them. You have to pray for yourself for gossip. But this is not gossip. This is not hearsay, right? If you see a brother or sister sinning, so you see them. It says next what? He will ask. So that's intercession. You're going to pray for this brother or sister who is sinning. And then it says he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. In other words, as you pray, God will answer your prayer and give life. Will lead that person, obviously, to repentance and confession. God's going to answer your prayer on their behalf. So here's the question. What does that mean? What is sin leading to death? What is it? I mean, if there's sin leading to death, I want to know what it is, don't you? And it also says there's sin not leading to death. Let me tell you what. There's all kinds of interpretations attached to these things. And people take this and teach all kinds of things. I could wade you through all of them. I could give you all the options, all the things people say. But but I'm going to just take the scripture literally here. As I think it lays it out. And it's this. There are times when a believer sins and that sin leads to death, physical death. Now, we know that all sin leads to physical death eventually, right? The reason we have death in the world is because of sin, because of the fall. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes and raptures us home first. But this is a special circumstance. So maybe it's a sin that was committed. Maybe it's ongoing sin in that believer's life. You know, God chastens, he disciplines his children. And maybe it's unconfessed sin and he's trying and he brings about death. You say, well... Is there any scriptural warrant for this? Is there any example in scripture? Yes. We could go to the Old Testament, but then you say, well, that's in the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Acts chapter five. There's a man and a woman by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. This is the early church. Ananias and Sapphira. They decided they were going to sell some property they had. And they were going to pretend that they were giving all of the proceeds. And that was theirs to begin with. They could have kept it. But they decided to put on a show, if you will, and really put forth, here, we're somebody. Ananias comes in, and he comes in before uh, the apostle there, and he's questioned, and he told him he's lied to the Holy Spirit, and he falls dead. And the young men carried him out. A while later, the wife comes in, and they question her about the same thing. She lies... She falls dead. They carry her out. Sudden, swift death is brought to them because of sin. That's a sin, I believe, leading to death. Now, that's the early church, obviously, right? I'm glad that's not the way God always works. If so, we'd have to have a morgue in the basement, wouldn't we? Another example is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Talking about the Lord's Supper. The passage talks about examining ourselves and not eating unworthily the Lord's Supper. There were those who were abusing the Lord's Supper. And because they were abusing the Lord's Supper, some were sick and some had fallen asleep. That means some had died. So there were those who had abused the Lord's Supper and God brought about death to those people. 
So you say, well, preacher, what are the sins that lead into death so I won't commit them? I don't know what they might be. The main point is don't sin. God helping you. Well, here's what we're getting at here. The scripture is saying that we should pray for our brother and sister who is sinning. Pray they'll confess their sin and make things right. Because really there are some options. When our brother or sister sins, we've got some options to, 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 to take into consideration. We can, first of all, talk about them. We love doing that. Let's just be honest. Don't be wholly sanctified there. Many times we love, like I said, under prayer requests, prayer requests right here. Have you heard about? You need to search your heart about there. Is there a real genuine concern for your brother? We can talk about them. Maybe even not as a prayer request. Just have you heard? But better is to take the next two steps. We can talk to God about them. That's what it's talking about here. That's intercession. That's father. I've seen my brother. I've seen my sister. They're going down a path that's not right. And you're talking to God on behalf of your sinning brother or sister. So that's a better option, isn't it? And there's also a third thing you can do. We said we don't want to do the first one. Talk about them. That's no good. We want to do the second thing, which is talk to God about them. And the third thing, if God leads you, is to talk to them about God. Talk to them about God. That is, if God were to lead you to go and seek to help that brother or sister in Christ. So you got scripture for that? Yes. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit. Listen, here's how you do it. You don't come and say, you dirty, rotten sinner. Repent. No. Listen how you do it. In a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's only by the grace of God that you're not right there with them. And so if God, as you're talking to God on their behalf, which we always should do, right? You see a sin not leading to death, pray for them. If God were to lead you, you go and talk to them about God. And you seek to restore them in a spirit of gentleness and meekness considering yourself. Okay, what about the next part? There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. What does that mean? So he says, okay, there's a sin not leading to death. Pray for their behalf. But then there is a sin leading to death. But don't pray about that. What does that mean? Well, I wrestled with that until J. J. Dwight Pentecost helped me. He said the word translated pray in that sense, in that verse, is a different word than translated ask earlier in the verse. Here's what it would be if you interpret it that way. There is such a thing as sin leading to death. I do not say that he shall make inquiry about it, to inquire. In other words, if a believer is near death, but there's no evidence of unconfessed sin in their life, we're not to ask, well, what did he do to deserve this? In other words, we're not to go looking and and supposing that all death is a result of sin. Now, we know in the highest sense it is. But believers die and they die not because of unconfessed sin, but because of other reasons. God's in charge of that. The point is this. It's not our job to go around figuring out who has died because of some sin in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? We all die because of sin in the broad sense. But I mean, let's say a young person dies. Boom, they die. It's not our. Don't make inquiry about that. Don't pray about that. Don't don't start making judgments about it. Well, I I think they died because of that. That's that's not your concern. It's not my concern, is it? That's between them and God. 
They're dead. They're dead. Now, if they're still living, if you know someone who's in sin and they're still living, they obviously have not committed a sin unto death yet. So what are we supposed to do? Pray for them. Pray for them. Don't miss the big picture. I'm afraid because we've gotten into this stuff, you're going to miss the big picture. Don't get so caught up saying, well, what kind of sin is a sin unto death? Don't get so caught up that you missed the point. The point is this. Pray for your sinning brother and sister in Christ. Pray that God will lead them to repentance and confession. Unless we start saying, well, at least I didn't commit a sin unto death. Look at what it says in verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. In other words, don't get in your mind, well, listen, these sins are worse than these. All sin is sin. Pray for your sinning brother and sister. One more point, we're done. As believers, we know we have eternal life. We know we have confidence in prayer. Thirdly, and finally this morning, as believers, we know we have victory over sin. We have victory over sin. It's not the first time we talked about sin in the book of 1 John, but look at it again, verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who does has been born of God, but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when it says we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, we know we're not talking about sinless perfection. A believer will sin from time to time. We just saw it in verses 16 and 17. Right? You see a brother sinning a sin not unto death. We studied it earlier in the book. The point where he says that they do not sin is that a believer does not live in habitual, ongoing, unconfessed, undealt with sin. Why? Because Christ has given us the victory over sin. As believers, we've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. And one day we'll be free from the very presence of sin as we're at home in heaven with him. Even so come Lord Jesus. But this world is under Satan's sway, the wicked one. But we are not as believers. We've been delivered by the grace of God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to sin, but when we do sin, see every sin we make is a choice. We're no longer under the power of sin, but we still sin, right? Listen to 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to sin. Christian, we don't have to sin. Now, if you're lost today, you're in bondage to sin. You're you're captive to sin. But as a Christian, we've been freed. But we still sin from time to time, don't we? And we do. We confess it. But I want you to notice his final words. You know, final words are very special, aren't they? Maybe you've been by a loved one's bed as they were dying and you listen very intently upon their last words. I know there's a whole book. I used to have it in my library. I may have gotten rid of it now, but years ago I had a book that was the final words of saints and sinners. And it was these words of these people. But notice what he says. It's interesting how he closes this book. He says in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's a good word, isn't it? That's a good word. It applied long ago. And you know what it applies to us today? Beloved, do you realize there's a temptation every day 
every day to surrender our allegiance to someone or something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Companies spend millions and billions of dollars to try to get your allegiance, try to get you to surrender to their whatever it is they're selling or whatever. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to become idolaters. An idol, of course, is not just something that we carve with our hands. It can be that. But anything that comes between us and the Lord is an idol in our life. Well, we need to wrap things up, don't we? So let's go back to where we started today. Are you discouraged, Christian? If so, would you process these three truths for a moment? You have eternal, ongoing life. I asked a little girl this past week at Vacation Bible School, what does eternal mean? And I kind of had to help a little bit. It goes on and on and on. It never ends. You, Christian, right now, you have eternal life. The death here, hey, it's just closing your eyes here and opening your eyes there. It's like walking through a door into glory. You have eternal life. Secondly, you have confidence in prayer. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears and will answer. And finally, you have victory over sin. You don't have to sin. In Christ's power, in Jesus' name, you can overcome that sin. Hallelujah. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. You know him and he knows you. Rejoice. Rejoice. Amen. Father, it is with a grateful heart that we bow in your holy presence. And I pray if anyone here today does not have that joy of knowing their sin is forgiven and that heaven is their home. I pray this morning as we sing this closing hymn, you bring them to repentance and faith. Then I pray for my brothers and sisters today who might be struggling with discouragement. I pray these truths will be impressed in their heart in such a way. They'll be encouraged to walk on in victory for the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. 338 is our closing hymn. The altar is open this morning. If you need to be saved, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would invite you to come today. We'll take a Bible and share Christ with you. Maybe you're a believer. Do you want to pray about something? The altar is open to you as well. You come as we pray, as we sing 338. I think an appropriate hymn to close, don't you? How firm a foundation we have. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing. You come as God leads you.